in a world saturated with pornography where so much is being consumed every single day if it was so good for us and it was so good for our relationships why aren't we seeing people and couples and marriages thriving Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Union Podcast. My name is Brian Pugh and I am the co-founder of the Union Movement. And if you're not familiar with the Union, we are an organization uh, that focuses on helping people find wholeness in sexuality, identity, and relationships with a gospel-centered and holistic approach. So we just want to welcome you here if this is the first time or if you're a return listener, we're just so appreciative that you would uh, take time uh, to join us here on this episode. And this is episode 78 and the first episode of our third season we took a little bit of a break over the summer and uh i hope you had a great summer i hope it was awesome it was great for us i had a lot of good family time just able to rest and kind of focus on some other uh some other work that needed to be done uh but we're so pumped to be back at it and today i got to tell you right away i hope you're wearing a seatbelt. And especially if you're listening to this while you're driving, should be wearing a seatbelt anyways. But today is an amazing episode. I get to sit down uh, with one of my favorite Australians. He moved up the list pretty fast. Uh, his name is Daniel Principe, and he is a youth advocate and educator um, working for an organization called Collective Shout in Australia. And um, he partners with schools and communities to challenge porn culture and the sexualization of women and girls. Uh, he works with young men across Australia to reimagine healthy expressions of masculinity. And uh, today we jump into that conversation. We jump into uh, what the effects are of the sexploitation of our culture. We talk about how it affects young men and young women and really what's at stake for the future, really, of civilization if we do not see a massive change in a purposeful uh, reestablishment of health of a healthy perspective towards sexuality uh, and humanity. Uh, so today I just I encourage you open up your heart. Uh, this is a great conversation that I was privileged to have uh, with Daniel. So without further ado, here it is my conversation with Daniel Principe. All right, Daniel, welcome to the Union Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. Brian, so good to join you. It's great to dial in from Australia and be able to share something with you that hopefully, yeah, reaches not only hearts and minds in Canada, but hopefully some uh, friends and new friends here in Australia too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know your accent just gives it away. You are from the beautiful, uh, beautiful country of Australia. What's your favorite thing about Australia? We, we live in a pretty privileged place in a privileged, privileged time, honestly, like the, the lifestyle here, the access that we have to so many good things is, is pretty unparalleled. I've just come back from the United States of America in April and, you know, like there's some good things there, but it really made me appreciate Australia even more that you kind of think even in a kind of Western nation, our lifestyle, our quality of life here is, is pretty spectacular. Uh, there are things I don't like about Australia, which I'm happy to be on the record saying we have a very, um, blase attitude to a lot of life. We're quite apathetic here. We're not very intentional. We're not great encouragers. We have a real tall poppy syndrome here. Uh, however, uh, there are good things as well, but yeah, I'm always, I'm always wanting to give a, a pretty fair representation of people in place. Same with me being from an Italian background. There's things that are amazing about being Italian but there's also things that we got to be honest about too when it comes to our culture. I get it, man. I get it. So I got to ask you the question. Are you, are you, I'm going to, I'm going to call it rugby. I know you call it footy, but are you a yeah. soccer player or are you rugby? What's your favorite? Yeah. yeah. We call it football footy here, which is AFL Australian football league. Uh, but I love soccer. I love, uh, I love, I love most sports, but yeah, we, we were really divided depending on where you go in the country as to like what people play. Uh, obviously. Yeah. Uh, over in North America, be unheard of now i'm sure there's a few people that know what afl is but i'm sure that's a pretty peculiar thing for you guys uh, aussie football yeah that's that's no joke man i i think i've watched it a few times and i'm still 
not exactly sure what's going on. You know what yeah. I mean? So, so I, you just got to give me some more time, man. I just need some more time. And maybe, hey, Lord knows, maybe one day I'll be be down there. We can go check it out together. It'd be awesome. That'd so be amazing. Yeah. So Daniel, you and I connected after I came across a podcast that a friend of mine sent to me. And I was just so deeply impacted uh, by the work that you're doing in Australia, bringing awareness to the negative effects of pornography, speaking to young people all over the nation. And you're part of a, an organization. You're part of the team at Collective Shout. Can you tell us a little bit about the vision and mission of uh, Collective Shout? Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. I love that somehow you heard me on a podcast. I love how these things evolve. So that's awesome. Thank you to that friend. And thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, I work for Collective Shout here in Australia. And so we're a movement against the sexploitation uh, of women and girls, ultimately. And our vision is a world free of sexploitation. So in all of its forms. So we campaign against corporations, advertisers, marketers, government, whoever is profiting from the sexualization of like girls and women and the objectification of women and and recognize that as harmful not only to women but to all of society to men and to our capacity to form healthy relationships and to see other people as human uh, to treat them with respect and and decency and so there's a few things that we do we campaign so we take on global corporations on all sorts of different issues as well as local. We do a lot of advocacy politically here and through different peak bodies about the harms of pornography, sexualization, and objectification. And then we also do education where predominantly that's delivered in uh, high schools, but pretty much from grades four all the way to university, colleges, health professionals, parent community bodies as well. So we do a lot of education, which is where I spend like 80% of my work uh, in that space, engaging people to think about the harms of a, a sexualized world and what's that doing to our ability uh, to rightly understand ourselves and, and rightly form, form respectful relationships. And so, yeah, there's a lot we do. We punch above our weight. Uh, but yeah, check out our website, collectiveshout.org, if you'd love to find out more or get involved and replicate what we do across the world. Yeah, no, I I was really impacted when I when I checked out your website and just really how you guys are not holding back. And I was actually, you know, as somebody we were obviously we're speaking on this topic, we're ministering on this topic of sexuality and, and identity and, and obviously the negative effects of pornography. But I was just so impacted by how many of these larger organizations that some of us we just use every single day without even thinking about it are contributing to, like you say, the sexploitation and the furthering of pornography in that industry, um, you know, like the, how they're actually the, in some ways, the backbone of this thing moving forward in so many mm -hmm. ways. And you guys are not, like you say, you're not holding back and you guys are bringing a lot of awareness to that. So for that, I, I was really, really impacted by that. I'd encourage everybody to check out Collective Shout. We'll make sure that's in our, our show notes for sure. So this work, Daniel, has like a real personal meaning for you. And um, could you tell us just a little bit about your journey out of using pornography and why, why sure. you do have that deep passion to see others uh, do the same? Yeah, there's a few different parallel things. Like all of us, our stories are complex and how they intertwine with things that we experience uh, in our own lives and those that we care deeply about. So for me, I was exposed to pornography when I was 11 years of age. I wasn't seeking it. I was shown it by an older family friend. And as a result of that, it, it is part of our formation. It shapes us. It teaches us whether we know it or not. It's why I say in schools and to parents and anyone that will listen, like it is the primary educator of this next generation, not just a sex educator, but an educator more broadly when you look at the stats of consumption. And just like me as an 11-year-old, we ask ourselves, like, what is it teaching us? What is it saying about what it is to be a man, a woman? What is it saying about being a human, about sex and sexuality of love, respect, pleasure, uh, body image, all these sorts of things, violence? And so it starts to shape us. It impacted me. Uh, and I wasn't searching for it. And I would say it's normal to be interested and curious about sex and sexuality and pleasure. But as I say to young boys all the time, it hijacks your natural, healthy, developing sexuality and making sense of your own body and desires, which it did for me. And until I quit in my early 20s after hearing a message similar to what I now hope to, to equip young men with to make an informed decision about their sexuality and their relationships. And so... 
right? Also seeing the harms of treating people like objects and pieces of meat and sorry to speak. So frankly, that's my approach. I always say to my audiences, I'm going to say some confronting things, but hopefully in the most gentle way possible. I kind of paraphrase Sir Roger Scruton, who in a lecture once said, in order to defend decency, we must risk being indecent. And oh, I, I hold word. to that, not, not as a truth, but as a truism. Uh, I don't want to needlessly uh, provoke and offend people's consciences, but we've also become a little bit too polite. My colleague, Melinda, she often talks about the fact that we've become a little bit too polite in things that destroy our humanity, that undermine our capacities to form decent, stable human relationships. And so we need to speak out against it. And this comes back to my story. People I've loved and dated, dear friends, men and women, but especially women, have been harmed, have been abused have been treated like objects uh, because a culture has conditioned us and told us to, to see other people as pieces of me up for grabs, especially women and girls. Uh, and in saying that, some of my closest male friends have been victims of, of sexual assault and sexual abuse as well. And so all wow. of that drives me to want to do this work. And I think it intersected with when I quit porn was when I finally met some friends who'd come back from a missions trip in Southeast Asia and they brought me a scarf made by a woman who'd been rescued out of the sex industry in Cambodia. And I still have that, that scarf to this day. And that shaped me because I realized that irrespective of what I thought I was watching and how quote unquote ethical or okay, or, you know, vanilla, the sex being represented was, I was still a patron of a billion dollar industry that chews up women and children. Like, and, wow. and it is part of the destruction of the human person. And so yeah, I absolutely that my consumption anywhere online and in the world of sexualized content was contributing to propping up this industry that has no regard for our well-being, for our sexuality, for our ability to be healthy and be safe in our relationships and to and pretty much to to not be a force for harm in this world. It's teaching us all that to participate in it and to be desensitized to it. And I realized that in my own life. And I think I was confronted with my own capacity to to put my selfish desires, my desire for my own self-seeking uh, ahead of the well-being of someone else. And, and yeah. pornography, I call the most powerful form of propaganda we've ever served up as a civilization because it yeah. erodes our capacity to see other people as human. And I'm happy to unpack the, the research on that throughout this podcast. But yeah, that's ultimately what it was. And it conditions us not to care. And so I, I feel like it is the ultimate justice issue of our generation, given what it intersects with, both within our own households, but also broadly in terms of questions of justice and ethics, especially in the most vulnerable places in the world. Yeah. Brother, well said, man. You said that so well. And I appreciate you just sharing your story like that. Cause I, and I love what you said too, that in order to be, to restore decency, I, I forget the gentleman you're quoting, but you know, in order to restore decency, we have to risk being, uh, um, indecent. But like, I think this is what actually genuine love is. Sometimes we think that love is just this passive kind of thing and don't make waves, but like love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. Love rejoices in the truth, right? Absolutely. So it's willing to stand the ground for, for the sake of people, for loving people. It's willing to, to stand a, a hard ground. And with that as well, it's like I've had to learn to get, to receive so I can give a better quality of love. And if someone had said to me, Dan, you've got nothing more to learn about love. The way you show up as a man in your relationships with your sexuality in the world is completely fine. Well, there's no opportunity for me to grow and heal. And there's no opportunity for me to extend that into the world. Like there's no vision calling me higher, inviting me to embody something better and healthier and more dignified for myself and others. And I feel like we live in, because we live in such a postmodern culture that says like, how dare you make any claims of calling something good or true or beautiful. Uh, we can't actually point ourselves into that. And I don't do this because I'm some angel on a cloud saying, Hey guys, look at me. I'm all up here. Why don't you come join me? I'm, saying I, I, I fall short. I don't use my mind, my body, my will, my strengths to do what's right by others. And I need to continuously with the help of others head in that direction and order my life, my desires, my duties towards that end. 
Yeah, so good, man. So good. I'd love to hear some of your experience in as you're traveling in different high schools, different different spaces, speaking to a younger generation, but as, as you speak to an older generation as well, but just specifically within uh, high schools and stuff, like when you're presenting to young people, how are you seeing, like, what are the the earmarks of the effects of pornography that you're seeing within young men and women? Uh, at its most obvious, just everything is sexualized and pornified. The comments, the behavior, the inappropriate touching, whether it's boy on boy, boy on girl, there is just everything is sexualized. Everything is degrading. And that is that is not subversive. It's not like this is the kind of darker undercurrent. No, 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 no. This is this is the mainstream way of relating that I see in schools everywhere I go, irrespective of socioeconomic status, private school, single sex, state-based school. I think a really deformed vision of masculinity and sexuality has triumphed in our culture. This is something I've been saying, especially over the last three months. And I don't, it doesn't bring me any pleasure to say that, but that is the reality because decency is shamed and degradation is celebrated, is championed. And there is this passivity to not want to challenge this amongst men and amongst boys and their friendships. And boys that do are either shamed, called all sorts of names, or called a snitch or a dog. So that's where we're at. I think there are huge concerns for this. So boys believe sex is something that is taking, that is devoid. And I'm talking in generalizations. I'm not talking all boys. I'm just saying that the general... Uh, perspective on these matters is sex is something you take, you consume, you control, you dominate, you coerce to get what you want. Any concept of, of commitment, of decency, of care, of mutuality and reciprocity is not even part of the framework, uh, let alone a concept like love, which never comes up in my workshops with boys, which is a whole social phenomenon that would be worth investigating. I only see it anecdotally. And for young girls, they just feel like they have to go along. They're also being groomed by porn culture to expect poor behavior sexually, to feel like they have to act like porn performers to win the affections of a man or of their partner. So we really are almost rock bottom. I don't know where else we can go to from here. In Australia, the average age of a sexual assault or unwanted sexual contact is 14.9 years of age. Most of that is fueled by pressure, coercion, drinking, drugs, violence. But sadly, 40-odd percent of that is because people are scared to upset the other person. So it's this kind of socialised grooming that we have to go along with with sexual acts and sexual behaviour that we don't even want, we don't even desire it. And so that's where we're kind of at at the moment in our culture. And I, from what I understand from the research and speaking to other people in Western nations, it's, it's pretty similar. And so young people have no idea of what a healthy relationship could look like or healthy sexuality. And they're so indoctrinated into this taking, this treating people like pieces of meat, this emotionally detached vision of sexuality. I I, I genuinely worry about them. And, and we also know it's actually not even that pleasurable for them as well. Like they're not enjoying their sexual experiences either. And that is, that's what the latest research tells us as well. And so that's one of the, one of the many kind of cultural realities of what I call porn culture. Uh, and with that, you know, there's so many other offshoots of that in terms of body image issues for young girls, higher rates of sexual assault, sexual violence, boys acting out violently sexually because they think that's what is normal, girls expecting that. Uh, but when you have higher rates of one in four, potentially one in three young women having sexual violence and sexual assault as part of their story, you know, like we look at what kind of templates, what kind of understanding of intimacy, especially something as significant and sacred as sexual intimacy, is this generation finding uh, their imprint and their understanding of. So it's, it's something to lament, honestly. It's something to, to truly lament as we consider the carnage. And I call it that, the carnage. And so, yeah, there are other secondary consequences around mental health issues and porn-induced erectile dysfunction and young men who can't even enjoy sex or sexuality because they've been conditioned to pixels on a screen. Like, you name it, like, there are just so many consequences to this. Yeah, and I think 
you know, I think you're absolutely right. And I know some of the stats you're probably speaking to from your context, but the reality is, is like the, the, the world's only gotten smaller through, through the internet, through the online world. And, and I think even for our listeners as we're in a Canadian context, we might think, oh, well, yeah, that's Australia. I'm sure it's really bad there. Like we always t- tend to think everybody else's front yard is, is dirty, right? And ours is just fine. And I go, here we are. Our nation is home to the founding organization that started Pornhub. You know what I mean? And thankfully, some of this attention was brought to a federal level. But unfortunately, it just seemed to get just stalled there that these these men, these CEOs of this organization were not held accountable for the the money that they were making off of the sexual exploitation by posting the videos, resharing the videos, downloading the videos of sexual assault, rape, and it, it just goes on. That's our, that's in our nation. Absolutely. So for context for your listeners, the UK Children's Commissioner released a report in January this year, and it's the most up-to-date report. And it shows that 13 years of age is the average age of exposure. It's more like 11 for boys. It says that 10% of nine-year-olds have been exposed. Here in Australia, the research looks at about 20% of adolescent boys are looking at pornography every day. It's 1% to 4% of adolescent girls. It's anywhere between 40 to 60% of boys looking at porn every single week. And by the time you're 18, it's close to 95, 96% of, of boys especially have been exposed to pornography. Like this is acting as their sex educator. And as I ask every audience all the time, what is it educating in? What is it actually teaching us about things that are so significant and intertwined to what it is to flourish as a human and flourish interrelationally? Well, 100%. And and I, I've shared this several times on the podcast, but like with my story, like I'm 37 years old. So when I was exposed to pornography at five, the internet didn't even exist. You know what I mean? So to say that it's just the internet, like, no, this is just the means in which this is getting before more and more people. But like you're saying, like you weren't looking for pornography, but pornography was looking for you. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to put like an entity to this, but like, but it's kind of it's kind of like what it is within our society, right? Like you, it's it is looking for you, and if you're not consciously, purposely having a a plan to confront it and to remove it from your life, it's pretty all enveloping. And it's hard to say this to parents, and it's not to spark fear, but to be equipped to have the information so you can be empowered to make healthy, proactive decisions rather than react you know, fall apart, collapse on the floor when you find out your 9, 10, 11-year-old has seen pornography, is we tell people that like, the internet is anxious to show your children pornography, right? It, that, that's just it. And I ask these questions to year sixes and upwards. How many of you have had sex bots, have had inappropriate or explicit content dropped into your Snapchat, TikTok, gaming feeds, and in year six, the boys are putting up anywhere between 50 to 60% of their hands. And by the time we get to year nine, it's 95%. Wow. And that's just the reality. That is the reality. So they're not looking for it. It is going after them. We've got billion-dollar industries who have AI and escalating algorithms that know where young people exist online and know how to hook them in. And I speak to good young men, even in church circles, who tell me that they didn't want to look at it. They saw it once, and then now they're hooked. Such as it's because it is a super normal stimulus. It hijacks our brains, it spikes our dopamine, and it preys on a very natural desire that adolescent brains are starting to develop curiosities about. When, um, that's so good, man. I just got to take that all in. Um, when, when you and I had, had connected earlier, you had mentioned that what's going on within our society, within our younger generation, is a form of barbarism. And I just found that really interesting. So, like, uh, and you've kind of you've kind of alluded to it here in in seeing the effects within young men and young women. But like, how do you look out and see that this is a, a tool to the eroding of civilization? It is. I, I literally uh, my one of my mentors, Professor Robert Jensen, says pornography is what the end of the world looks like, and I I agree with him. You know, if you think if pornography triumphs, what do we have left? Like, if every 
evil that we would normally call out for injustice, for abuse, it becomes eroticized in pornography. It somehow gets a free pass. Forgive me, listeners, but this is what I mean by that, is racist depictions of of Jewish people, of African-Americans, of other racial minorities would be never, ever allowed, nor should they in society. And yet if it's on a porn scene, that gets a free pass. You know, if, if, if abusing power imbalances between men and women or people of power is seen as something to fight back against in our equitable society, well, those are reinforced in pornography and eroticized where people can't pay the rent, where a teacher preys on a student, where pedophilic fantasies are reinforced left, right. And so, like, this is what we're talking about here. We're not talking about Playboy magazine, and Playboy is horrific enough as it is. You know, they normalized pedophilia for three decades there. But what we're talking about is eroticizing every, like, unimaginable, but they are imaginable, evil in the world and serving that up to people as propaganda, conditioning our beliefs, our attitudes, and therefore behavior. And it's it's resulting in a diminished capacity for empathy it's, it's resulting in higher rates of assault. It's resulting in higher rates of sexual violence. And if we can't form decent, long-standing, respectful relationships, what happens to marriages? What happens to families? What happens to children being raised in a culture where pornography is becoming more and more readily accessible? What does it do to our sense of self? Can we even know of ourselves, conceive of ourselves as human creatures outside of the perversive, toxic influence of pornography? What are we going to have to do to reimagine ourselves in a world and relationships uh, and justice where this doesn't define us. Like it, it genuinely is that huge. And, and I haven't even got into talking about human trafficking yet. I haven't even got into the 30 plus million people enslaved, let alone the fact that in Germany and Spain every day, a million purchases of sex every single day, just in those two countries, that's 2 million, you know, how many people are exploited across the world. And so it's, it's a, it's such a phenomenal monumental problem that is so wicked but it, it says something about us and i think that's why we don't want to touch it because other justice issues we get to blame other people who are the evildoers the corporations the politicians the bankers the the insert blank statement this evil person whereas when we talk about sexuality and we talk about pornography and porn culture most of us have played a part in this. We've all participated in it and we've all benefited from it in some ways. And what do I mean by that? Like men in heterosexual dynamics have benefited from a world that has conditioned women to see themselves as objects, to feel they have to perform for the male gaze, who feel like they have to act in certain ways. Whether you yourself as a man has consumed pornography, you are existing in a world where women have been reduced to sex objects by the culture and by other men. That's harmed them. Uh, and yeah, this is these are these realities and and trying to unpack that and actually form a healthier, mutual, more reciprocal, you know, equal standing vision of relationships, of intimacy, of pleasure and sexuality is a huge task for all of us. And we can only start as the individual and in our in our respective relationships. But yeah, we are heading towards barbarism. I see this every day in schools. I see less and less empathy. The teachers, their parents tell us there's less empathy in young people. It's observable. Like I, I, One of my friends, Dr. Ballantyne Jones, did his PhD. And in that PhD, as an aside, one of the findings was the combination of social media and sexualized media was crushing the empathy out of young people and higher rates of narcissistic traits, which won't really surprise anyone, but there's the PhD on it, you know? And so if we lose empathy, if we lose compassion, which is the ability to enter into the suffering of another person, then what? You know, and we see that with the bystander effect in schools. We see more fight videos, more assaulted schools. Like these, these numbers are just going up and up and up. And it's not just the injustice and the crime in and of itself. It's the secondary impacts of a world with so much wounding, of so much harm. Well, yeah, and I think this just kind of dovetails into the next question because there's a lot of conversation around 
the effects of porn and then what's been termed as toxic masculinity. Um, and often like porn kind of often presents and invites young men, um, into this kind of this form of masculinity that, that gets this, the kind of, kind of coined as toxic, but what are the fruits that you're seeing in these spaces specifically when it comes to young men and, and how would you then encourage young men to actually have a healthier vision for masculinity? Such a good question. So a couple of things up front, I don't use the expression toxic masculinity, even though I know what it means and I agree with what it wants to, but it's been so weaponized in the culture wars and it's so misunderstood. And, you know, when you are speaking to people, you're responsible for what you are saying and what you're not saying and what other people interpret. And for me, I use more unhealthy uh, masculinity or unhealthy stereotypes, uh, you know, or harmful stereotypes or harmful ideas. I find that is a more simpler way and kind of more generous way to get guys on the court to work with me about things that don't serve them, don't serve women and girls, and don't serve society. But, yeah, I'm seeing it. It's quite extraordinary in a world with so many toxic influences telling boys to be tough and, you know, to to not be, to be assertive, to be aggressive. I see so many passive young men. And I say that as a man who has been passive for most of my life and most of the harm and hurt I've caused others, including myself, has been because I've been passive in not doing the right thing or being scared to do the right thing. So I've hurt people uh, by being passive and therefore just doing nothing and remaining neutral. So I say that out of my own confession. Uh, But what I see is, is young boys who are passive you know, watching figures like Andrew Tate and worse, who then when the time comes to do what is right, and the time's always right to do what is right, according to MLK, they don't do it. They don't speak up. They don't stand up. They don't stick up for their mates. They don't speak up for the young woman. They don't be an upstander. They don't call the police or call an adult. So everybody wants to be a hero, but they are so passive in my interactions with them. I have great response from young people, but you know, I, I'm I'm still seeing a huge mushy middle who are so passive, who who don't want to get on the court because they're so worried about what their friends think, and they've already adopted so many unhealthy ideas. And so I have to dismantle so much of that before I even start my talks because they're coming in very much sympathetic to Andrew Tate, very much on the back foot and and just so confused about what a healthy man is. And for me, it's so, for me, essential towards virtue, which is just a good human, right? It's applicable to men and virtues, but the root and the root, uh, you know, Latin word for virtue, ver, is what is man, you know? It was, it was essential to what it is to be a man, was to be virtuous. And so we don't see that advocated for. We see lots of um, kind of defunct ideas that still remain about boys will be boys, which doesn't serve young men because it's actually, in my mind, the bigotry of low expectations because it doesn't expect respect, decency, maturity, leadership from them uh, and doesn't invite them to embody something healthier and more virtuous. And so we see that remnant remaining and then we see a lot of this passivity and then we see a lot of guys who have completely drunk the Kool-Aid on porn- pornography, porn culture and toxic influences thinking that's what it is to be a man. And yet they fall short on so many categories of virtue given that virtues forever have been faith, hope, love. They've been self-control. They've been wisdom. They've been courage. Fortitude, you know, these are the words that are associated with them. And that's not what's advocated by so many of these men in the manosphere. You know, how many men are advocating self-control, you know? Right, right. And the courage of like, you know, go and get into fights. But as I say to boys, I don't care how much you can, you can bench press. If you don't stand up for your mates or resist, you know, injustice or protect people in danger, or be a voice for the voiceless, I couldn't care less what you can bench press. Like, and so for me, it's like, it's just such a disordered vision of, of, of masculinity. It's so detached from the essentials, and it's really interested in, do you have abs? Can you bench press? Do you watch MMA? Do you pick up women? And I'm like, man, all of that is just such counterfeits. It's so far removed from the essence of what is a decent man. And I say to the boys just really, really simply, do your mates trust you? Are you a loyal friend or will you throw your mates under the bus? Can you be known as dependable? 
And I say to the women and girls in your lives, like, feel safe around you. Are you consistent? Do you have integrity? Are you the guy that people whisper around corners? He's just rocked up to the party, avoid him. Like, it's really simple, right? But it's like, surely, and I said, that's my vision for me. I'm not saying I'm there, but for me, it's like, I want my mates to know Dan is trustworthy. He he respects me. He He's a man of decency and integrity. And I would hope the women and girls in my life experience me as a man who is safe, as a man of integrity, you know, like, and that's bare minimum, right? Like, I don't even think that's a, <laughs> that's a high bar. But, you know, that's not what's being promoted to these young men and in its place, just some really trash, low bar ideas that are very superficial about money and success, which isn't ultimate. It, it's kind of like they're just distracted by the flashy cars. And so, yeah, these really toxic ideas seem to be embedded. You know, we kind of think we're in a more enlightened society and we're in post me too culture for whatever you want to make of that. And yet I think we've got more work to do than ever before for young men who are also disenfranchised. And I get it rightfully so like in a lot of ways, because I think a lot of what they hear is just negative criticisms. But I think the biggest thing that I call them out on is not only do I think culture doesn't help them, they buy into a lot of toxic culture, but then they hammer their mates who show any signs of decency, of integrity, of respect. And I say, so what's that going to produce? What's the legacy of that going to be if the very best of young men is shamed routinely by you guys? So the culture makes it hard, but then sociologically, you guys hammer each other, which is that pack. And you'll never dissolve that. If you, if you know how to reform that, that is the billion-dollar question for this age. But what would it look like to use that for good? And us as adult men have cultivated that. I know for me, it's like my male friends spur me on to be a better version of myself when I learn from them. But it seems in those adolescent years, that is the, that is the billion-dollar question is how can we help them in that? And that's why I leave them with two questions or two thoughts. It's like choose, choose your friends wisely and choose your heroes wisely. Yeah, 100%, man. Man, I couldn't agree more. I think we've, we've forsaken what it truly means to be honorable. That's right. You know, and like, I think when we look back in history, when we thought of the most honorable people, they were selfless people. They were self-sacrificing. Like, you know, you think, I don't, I don't know who your favorite, you know, Aussie, Aussie football player is right. Or your favorite team. But like the guy that, that would be celebrated with would be the guy who played hurt. So his team could win, you know what I mean? And, mm. and is not looking out for himself, but is playing for his team is playing for, you know, his, his community, you know? And, and it's like, we've just, we've forsaken that and we've sent, we've sentenced young men to a lose, lose situation. Yeah, I agree. It's like to stand up, you're called a toxic, you're called toxic to sit back, you know, and just give yourself over to this, um, this just broken perspective. Yeah. You're then your life is brought into destruction as well. That's right. That's right. And if we don't give them better role models, better advice, better opportunities, better environments for them to flourish, to adopt virtue, to be men of honor, of decency, like we can't then lament the lack of good young men, like who's on the court helping them when they fail. You know, I, I hear from boys every single week having a hard time in life, just feeling like they've got nobody there for them. And I can't reach out to them. I can't be there their personal friend and pastor, like I encourage them, give them advice and point them to some websites that could be useful. But my, my lament is it's like, I got to play my role and I can't be in every one of these young men's life, but who is? And you're listening to this and you're a man, like make sure who's influencing you is good, is healthy, but also who are you influencing? And, and we all influence whether we know it or not, whether we've signed up for it or not. And ask ourselves, like, what am I teaching the younger men around me? I think that just segues right into the next question, because I think there's a lot of parents who are feeling ill-equipped and I think we're seeing some breakdown in the family and that's probably another podcast and another, another topic, but I think that plays into it so much, but um, how would you encourage parents to just really have a healthy perspective on this, but also be better equipped to talk to their kids, um, about porn and its effects? Sure. I mean, the reality is we just have to have these conversations. The sex talk isn't a one-off talk that you get a hundred percent right. It's a series of 
lots of different talks and teachable moments because your six-year-old hears something on the radio or the TV or your 10-year-old hears an older kid say it at school and you pick that up, you ask them lots of questions, you know, it's not always about giving them information. It could be asking them like, what did you think that, that means? Or how do you think that made someone feel? Or or what do you think uh, about where babies come from? You know, ask them the questions and then you can supplement that information Kids, the research here in Australia says that uh, for young people, 79 to 80% of them, it's they want to talk to mom and dad about the things going on in their life. So take heart. Like most kids really do want to have that relationship with their parents. Even in my work, I'm so privileged to have this role, this access to speak to young people, but I'm always advocating to them to go talk to mom and dad and that you're not going to be in trouble. And then I speak to mom and dads and I say, don't get your kids in trouble if they open up to you. Like that's a vulnerable space. Like don't tell them off because then they won't open up to you in the future you know like it's a credit to you and to them if they actually open up and want to share and we just have to respond with gentleness knowing that they're not wrong or bad if they've been exposed to any of this stuff or if they're consuming it like they've been preyed on by a billion dollar industry that doesn't give a rip about them so we have to come from a place of empathy like i had a nokia 3310 in my pocket going through adolescence these kids have got internet enabled devices access to all sexual media, social media. And so my heart breaks for them. We've made it so difficult for them. And then we get frustrated when they don't act with the values that we want to see. It's like, well, we've never given a more toxic environment. And then we, then the adults and the policymakers and the politicians and the activists are like, why aren't young people this? Or why aren't boys that? And I'm like, man, look around. Can you see the world they're growing up in? So yeah. Lead with empathy, lead with listening, asking questions, gentleness. Uh, but my other thing that's, it's easy to give practical advice and there's some great resources out there you can check out on our Collective Sharp page or my colleague Melinda's page. There's some great books, especially in North America, about how to talk to your kids about pornography. There are great resources out there, right? But I'm going to be honest, I come from a more philosophical, let's be real, Let's be honest question, right? And I said this last week on radio uh, because it's easy to just get into the tips. The reality is you can have all the best tips, but if you have never owned your own story of pornography and porn culture and the way that your vision of bodies, of sex, of intimacy, of love... Uh, has been shaped by toxic or unhealthy influences. If you've never kind of been able to articulate that or get space from that or see that for what it is, you're always going to be talking out of an unresolved part of your life, which is probably why people feel uncomfortable about this. It's why people don't know how to talk about this because it's, it, it is an unconscious influence where they feel uncomfortable. Whereas I think the biggest part, and I say this to everyone from teachers to parents, to pastors, to psychologists, to couples considering marriage. The reality is we all need to own our stories of how porn and pop culture has shaped our vision of, of relationships, of sex, of dating, of bodies, of intimacy and pleasure. Let's just own that. Let's put that on the table, shine a light on it. And then let's talk about, well, what are we doing to form healthier views on all those topics? What are we doing to form views that are anchored in love in peace, in safety, in connection, in intimacy, in preferring the other, you know, like in things that we value. Yeah. And so that for me, I think is the missing piece is you can read books that tell you how to do lots of techniques, but I think a huge part really is owning our stories, bringing light and recognizing, hey, let's all put our hands up. I do this work confessionally. I recognize porn has shaped me and I'm still on the journey. And so I think this is the easiest way to really start to get traction in this because then we're a bit more grounded. There's more authenticity and then integrity when we speak uh, about these issues because we recognize we're not immune to it either, irrespective of whether we've never been exposed or exposed once. Like we've, we've all been misshaped by the culture around us and how we see these issues. So that's my biggest piece of advice. I would just commend anybody listening. Think about what has harmed your vision of those things and what are we doing now to adopt a healthier vision? Oh, bro. That's just so on point, man. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. Uh, it, it might be hard to believe for some people considering even just some of the things you've said in this podcast, but there is a movement that pushes back on anything that would call uh, the porn industry to account. 
Um, and they say that there's no negative effects to, to pornography and it's, you know, it's just natural. It should be celebrated, should be, you know, we should actually show more. We should expose more and more kids to it, you know, and have, you know, and have it be the, you know, the benchmark for sexuality. Um, and they just kind of make it to be like no big deal. Obviously, from what you've said already, uh, this would blow a you know, huge hole in that argument. But do the stats and the stories um, of those in the industry and and just just the stats that you've seen, do they line up with these claims? Sure. Let's talk about that. First observation, in a world saturated with pornography, where so much is being consumed every single day, if it was so good for us and it was so good for our relationships, why aren't we seeing people and couples and marriages thriving? The pregnant pause. (laughs) Like it's as simple as that, right? If you're telling me that this thing that is watched billions of times, that's accessed more than Netflix, that is shaping all of our lives is everywhere, is apparently either neutral or somehow a force for good. Well, I cannot see any signs of that anywhere, bro. Absolutely. And don't tell me just, you know, because what they'll do is they'll poll people who are sex industry subscribers and say, you know, has porn had a good impact on you? And of course, oh, I can't use the words I was about to just spit out of my mouth. Then. <laughs> That's self-control right there. Of That's self-control. <laughs> I love it. You know, but of course I like it. It makes me feel nice. It soothes me because it is a sure. drug. It's a new type of drug. They they love that it soothes them, it distracts them. And so, you know, that's what they'll do. They'll poll their own subscriber list to say, do you like porn? Is it beneficial to you? And of course they'll say they like it. You know, it was just like when the UN did a research on is porn harmful to children? And then they asked the children themselves, what was their response to it? And of course some kids will enjoy it. Of course, it's a super normal stimulus that releases dopamine. I'm not surprised by that. That doesn't tell us anything on whether this has harmed the child just because they may have had some of them a positive experiences. Like, thank you, UN. You know, that's great work from you. Great scientific inquiry. Like, we actually need people to see, is this harming them? And let's look at those harms. You know, so here in Australia, the first big piece of research was the Australian Institute of Family Studies report from 2017. And I can simply boil this down that says if you've got a group of young men who don't consume porn and a group of young men who do consume porn, those consuming are more likely to commit sexual assault, be sexually violent, believe rape myths and be a bystander if someone else is assaulted. It then goes on to say that if you consume violent porn, which isn't a fringe part of it, is anywhere between 25 to 88% of pornography, depending which research you go to, with up to 97% of that violence directed towards women, if you're consuming that, which a lot of people are, because it's not niche, it's mainstream, you are six times more likely to be sexually violent. Our our watch here in Australia is our peak body to address violence against women and children, recognising 2020 was a significant driver of violence and sexual violence. It, it, it reinforces uh, really toxic gender stereotypes. It reinforces men's power and control over women. And so, like, and these are people who don't share your R values, by the way. These are not people who agree with perhaps your metaphysics, Brian, and yet they come to those conclusions themselves. Our recent national plan to address violence against women came out in December last year, recognises these same drivers. The UK Children's Commissioner report from 2023, this year in January, says all of this and more and its association with body image issues poor mental health outcomes sexual dysfunction we're seeing it time and time again and so yeah the harms are ubiquitous and that doesn't and that's to the consumer you know and and their relationships let alone the people in the industry and we've seen how many people no longer are with us who have either overdosed or suicided because of this industry. Max Waltman, Professor Max Waltman, who's a very left-wing progressive academic, his tome on pornography, the politics of legal challenges, I interviewed him. He doesn't even share my vision for masculinity. We have such different views, but he will tell you 
my goodness, about the harms of pornography. And he has done the most robust investigation on this. And he even looked at like, what were the material conditions of the women before they entered the industry, uh, both prostitution and pornography and huge rates of childhood sexual abuse, huge rates of PTSD. Uh, 50% of them were living below or at the poverty line before entering the, the industry. You know, we're talking about huge amounts of marginalization and disadvantage here. Huge amounts of women and girls preyed on in some of the most vulnerable parts of the world. You know, we're, we're talking about an industry that is known now, reported in the New York Times and everywhere, of having to delete millions and millions of videos because it was sexual assault, it was rape, it was underage, it was minors being abused. This is what we're talking about here. And so, yeah, I, 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 it just is unthinkable now. The good thing is, is more and more voices are speaking out. It's not just a radical feminist thing. It's not just a conservative thing. It's not just people of faith thing. There are people all across the political spectrum. There are people all across the philosophical spectrum recognizing the harms. Even our enemies who used to say porn was fine now have to admit some porn is bad. They won't say all of it because they want to be cool girls, but they will acknowledge that it is bad. It's harmful. And so we're even seeing huge shift on that. And you see the countless stories and testimonies online of people harmed by pornography. And I have it when I go out for dinner, I ruin plenty of polite dinner parties because people ask me what I do for work. And all my friends will say, Hey, Hey, Sally, or Hey, Dave, ask Dan what he does. And then they come with their own stories of their relationships or their sexual experiences. The reality is, is as I tell the leaders, um, all the time. I see the carnage of the sexual revolution every single day being people harmed and 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 developing all sorts of mental uh, health challenges because of how pornography has has harmed them. And so, yeah, there, there are just countless ways and, and it's kind of like countless more in terms of how it's grooming young people, how it's shaping them for their own abuse and accepting all sorts of harms, which shouldn't surprise us because Predators and pimps and johns use pornography to groom their victims. So there's something to be said about this medium, you know, like what it's actually doing to us. And so there are, we could, I could go on and, and highlight study after study on its harms. Uh, the industry itself knows that there's been a huge cultural shift, you know. There has been a huge cultural shift. Uh, because the harms are just so well documented now and more power to it. You know, you've even had celebrities coming out from Russell Brand to Terry Crews to Billie Eilish to Joseph Gordon-Levitt to others who, whether you put any stock, and I put very little in celebrities, but they are speaking out, highlighting the harms. And we're just seeing this more and more uh, getting cut through. So more power to them, more power to the mums and dads, and the people on the front line speaking out about this, I think it's easier and easier to push this message. And I think it's getting harder and harder to try and claim that this is not uh, harmful. And you have to ask yourself the question, why also when we say we live in such a just, equitable, progressive society, why has pornography become more racist, more violent, more sexist, more degrading? What does that say about us? And so these are the questions we have to reckon with. Now, for somebody who's listening, this has probably been like just a fire hose of information and, and conviction. What would you say to the person right now who's listening, who, who feels trapped in the grips of porn? And, and how would you encourage them to find freedom? This is what I say to everybody. And it's true of me. It's true of you, Brian. You are not who the porn industry says you are who you are as a person, as a person in relationship to others, as a person who may form a romantic and sexual relationship, you are not who the porn industry says you are. You have so much more life, gifts, talents, abilities that you owe the world and you owe yourself to give expression to, that we welcome, that there's space for. This is an industry that harms and undermines your efforts to be well, to be healthy, to be, to be who you're meant to be. and. And all of us fall short with our bodies, with our minds, with our sexuality of making sure others feel loved, feel safe, feel cherished, feel dignified. And that's ultimately the invitation before all of us is who could you be? 
who could you be on the other side of pornography and what does that look like for you and and what does that feel like to be that person? And so there's hope for all of us. You know, that's my message to them. Uh, And my message is then reinforced that I know consumers who are looking at it six, seven hours a day who are now sober, helping other men get sober. These are just the realities. There is a life beyond pornography and it is so worth fighting for. And no matter how hopeless or trapped or enslaved you feel, like there is hope beyond it all for all of us. And it's just one step at a time. And I give out a how to quit kind of template for people. There is no silver bullet. There are things that all of us will find easier, some things harder that I help and give out to people. There is no silver bullet, but there are things that we can do to make that decision better. And it's not so much about being anti-porn or quitting porn, but it's actually who you become and having a compelling enough vision why as to what that looks like and who you get to show up and be once you overcome this. The virtues that you cultivate, the friendships that you cultivate, the creativity that you cultivate, the habits, the disciplines that you cultivate. And for me, that's what I got addicted to. You know, that's what I found really satisfying. And and I, I really do. I don't have any desire to write a book, but if I did, it would be that this is the rite of passage, especially for men of this generation. It's like if you could get to your early 20s, and not be completely distorted in your sexuality and masculinity by porn and porn culture, like you would have become such a remarkable young man and and young woman for that matter too. And so for me, it's just like, it's worth the fight. Whether you're 60, whether you're 16, like it's worth the fight. Like the alternative is to allow this to define you and to define your days, your desires, your relationships. And so, yeah, don't do it alone. You have to do it with people. You have to bring this to the light and and to and to do this, yeah, in the company of others. Like there are no superheroes. There are no superheroes. I'm not a superhero. Everyone else who's quit's not a superhero. We've just kind of fallen forward and done that enough. And I would just say, like, be be prepared to do everything it takes. Like, if someone told you you had a cancer diagnosis, you're not going to just rest on your laurels. You do everything you can to get healthy. And if you view this through a similar f- framework of how this is toxic to you and to all parts of your existence and well-being, and doing everything it takes. So restructuring your life and and putting therapy and counseling and accountability on the table because it's just worth it. And I say this because I know guys who have known what I've done for work, who have been struggling in the background, who've never told me, who waited till it cost them too much before they did something. And it wasn't until they put accountability in place that they took themselves to a sex addiction fellowship and went counseling that they started to overcome it and and find healing, find restoration and find that there was so much more for them in life. And yeah, just be prepared to do whatever it takes. It's so worth it no matter where you're at. And like I said, it's just, it's just not who you were made to be. It's not your identity. There's so much more for you. And yeah, uh, there is just so much, yeah, hope ahead. And I think that's just it. Like, yeah, I, my heart just goes out to everybody. It's not to condemn, it's an invitation. It's just to say there's so much more for you. And there are good people who want to stand alongside you and help you that that want to see you flourish, to see you fully integrated in your sexuality and masculinity and things that serve you and serve others. Bro, I so appreciate that. And I will tell, I'm going to tell you right now, if you do write a book, I'm all over buying a bunch of them. I'll tell you that. That's for sure. <laughs> Honestly, Matt, I so appreciate just what you've shared here today. And it's just so meaningful, the work you're doing through Collective Shout. Um, how can our listeners stay in touch with you and support the work that you're doing in Australia with Collective Shout, but also uh, to stay in touch with you? Tell us a little bit about uh, Last of the Romans website, your website. Let's tell, Let's hear about that. Oh yeah. So that's just my own business that, yeah, I love the name. It's last of the Romans was someone who upon their death was considered the man or woman who last embodied the virtues of ancient Rome. And so, yeah, I, I loved it. I thought it just sounded cool, but I also love the meaning and the essence of it. And it's underpinned by virtues. 
And so, yeah, that's just a way that people could, if they wanted to get in touch with me personally or on Instagram, my handle was last of the Romans and I can send them that how to quick template, which has access to other people's resources too, that I think are really, really beneficial. And so, yeah, feel free to reach out. Like for me, it's like, yeah, I get to be known as the anti-porn guy in certain circles and that's great. And that's given me opportunities and I'm thankful for that. But for me, it's just like a bigger project, which is like, how do we actually form healthy men, healthy relationships, healthy sexuality to actually be a blessing to our world? You know, like that's for me, the compelling vision that gets me out of bed every day. Yeah, I love to smash and rail against and protest and, you know, the porn industry, but hate only gets you so far. Like it's because we love things. I love, I want to love things that are good, true and beautiful. And I don't in and of myself always desire that, but that's the direction that we're heading in and championing one another. Just like I need other people to help me be my healthiest and best self and to spur me on and to help me when I'm weak and when I fail and when I don't have the right ideas about certain things. And so, yeah, we all need each other and that compelling vision of life could be like in and of ourselves as men and in relationship to other men and to the women and girls in our lives is just so worth it. And that's why we get out of bed every day. So yeah, reach out anyone. Come on. Share your story and would love to, yeah, just champion others in this space. If other people feel a stirring to to do this work in any which way, like you don't necessarily need to front top and be a speaker. It could be through your art. It could be through your poetry. It could be through your business. It could be through your vocation. It could be through your sports team. Like whatever it is, wherever you are, like we're in the role and of forming good, healthy humans. So reach out and if there's stuff I can learn from you and your listeners like please teach me like always learning always on this journey that's so good man well we were going to make sure that all your information's in the show notes and we'll see if we can get our hands on that that steps to freedom uh, information will include that for people in our show notes as well Daniel it's been an absolute honor bro thank you so much for making time thank you for your passion and your conviction to love and do what's right and not just what's easy um, man honestly it's been such a blessing man thank you so much for joining us here oh, so good to be part of it O'Brien. thank you so much thanks for listening to the Union Podcast if you have any questions or comments we'd love to hear from you please email us at podcast at theunionmovement.com. For more information, please visit our website, theunionmovement.com, or find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Union Movement.